0: Well, good morning. My name is Brandon Faust. I'm the executive director at a local nonprofit. And so if today goes horrible, guess what? Next week, I'm sure Craig will be back. And if it goes well, it was Craig's idea. So, um, but I I was able to join uh, you all back in October, and it's great to be back here with you again, uh, to encourage you with God's Word. And um, I know uh, yesterday morning, how many of you woke up and you're like, finally, the snow is here. It's officially, yes. You were like, if it's going to be cold, it might as well snow. Are you with me on this? And so we, uh, we actually had a kind of like you know, Christmas. we have kids, you know, Christmas break, Christmas break schedule, maybe we're sleeping in more than usual, well, we had an 8 a.m. basketball game in Westfield, and uh, so to beat, you know, the, the, the roads weren't super nice, so we are up earlier than we would have the kids up on a school day, but then we looked outside and it's like, this is gorgeous, right? And then to cap off the day, Colts fans, oh, a tough one, right? We stayed up late, you you're like, we need to go to church after that game, you know? You need to go to church after a disappointing uh, game like that. But it was, it was a heartbreaker. That was a, that was a tough one. Um, I'm a big University of Michigan football fan. I grew up with season tickets going to the games. And so I'm very excited about a football game that's happening tomorrow night uh, in the the football championship. The tradition of the past has been Michigan makes it to the college football playoff and then they lose every time. And so I'm excited for new traditions. And I know last week, Pastor Craig shared about traditions. He even had some of you share about traditions, those of you who were here last week, and some of your favorite Christmas traditions. Now, over the years, years, your family might be something like mine, there's this mashup that happens when you're married of traditions, In which ones are we gonna keep, and which ones do we just need to let stay back in that generation, okay? Now, uh, we love new traditions, we love the old traditions in our family. One of our favorite ones here locally is uh, Sullivan's Hardware Store, you could get a picture of our family there, uh, that's my, myself, my wife, and our three kids, uh, Nora, Lucy, and Liam, and have you ever heard of this place? It's a hardware store, and they have a little train that goes outside and, and has all these wonderful lights and displays. The first time somebody told me this, I thought they were a crazy person. I'm like, what do you mean you go to a hardware store and go on a train ride and then meet Santa? It was, it was gorgeous. Our kids love it every year. It kind of christens the Christmas season for us. We get a, a, a tree every year from Dole's Tree Farm just up the road. We have... A, a German heritage, so German Christmas pickle. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? We, we have the Christmas pickle ornament, and somebody gets a special extra present. Uh, we have new Christmas PJs on Christmas Eve for the kids. Uh, Santa rides on a fire truck and comes through the neighborhood, and you're like, oh, okay, okay, we'll do that. Sounds great. But one that's lasted a couple of generations in my wife's family is uh, there's a neighborhood uh, she's from the suburbs of Chicago. There's a neighborhood that's had this beautiful light display for the last 75 years. And uh, go ahead and throw that next picture up. And, and they have, this is just in a neighborhood, scripture of the story of Jesus' birth on the sides of, of the road, right here in the neighborhood. You drive through, you can read the Christmas story. She's been participating in that since she was a kid. So we continue to go there every year uh, with the entire family. We have to go into a couple different vehicles now. And uh, we love that. We love reading that uh, Christmas story. And then on the other side of the neighborhood, they have Charlie Brown, like Peanuts characters, displays. It feels like trespassing because it is, but we do it anyways. And uh, the people are very friendly and welcome it. So we always take a, you know, a picture uh, with uh, Charlie Brown and the Peanuts characters there. But then... When I first entered the family, they told me about a tradition I wasn't quite prepared for. They said, after we go and see all these beautiful Christmas lights and do all of that, we have a great meal that we look forward to all year. And I'm thinking, wow, there's going to be some sort of nice steakhouse. Like, what kind of, what kind of treat are we in for? And to, much to my disappointment, you go to that next slide. <laughs> this is where they go. Now, my wife's family, incredibly healthy people, uh, so they would never get fast food. So the one time a year they would get fast food was dining in at Taco Bell. Nothing against Taco Bell, but it's not what I think when you think traditional family meal, okay? Uh, they'd go to Taco Bell and would dine in and we'd go in our Christmas PJs. Now, a couple of years ago, we decided it was time to end this tradition. Now, we would still get good food uh, or this, we would now get good food, um, but stop going to Taco Bell, so we still do the lights. So sometimes we need to put old traditions away and embrace some of the new ones. In your Christmas season, uh, it maybe it was the one you wanted, or maybe it's just the one you got. Maybe it was filled with uh, hope and beauty and wonder, and it was great, and there was new traditions, or maybe there were traditions that ended that you didn't expect, Maybe there was someone who's normally at the table or at Christmas Day that wasn't this year. You know, coming out of uh, the Christmas season can be a bit chaotic. There's a wonder, there's anticipation, and then it's like December 26th. And for some of us, the Christmas season creates between that and New Year's and into the New Year, there's space for reflection, and for others of us, we're just trying to keep up. It's chaos. It's a 1,000 miles an hour. And if you're anything like me, I go through cycles as we head into a new year of like, yes, new habits, new goals. And then some years I'm very cynical about the idea of a calendar date dictating new habits in my life. But here's what I know. Change, transformation, especially under the lordship of Jesus, is a great thing. It's a a time of year where many people are setting goals for the upcoming year, The top resolutions uh, for 2024, according to Forbes, says that 48% of respondents noted that improving fitness was their top goal, right? Top priority. Improving finances, 38%. Focusing on mental health, 36%. Making more time for loved ones, 25%. Uh, uh, Learning a new skill, 8.8%. Making time for new hobbies, 7.1%. Traveling more, 5.9%. And you may fall somewhere in those. Those can be great things. Those can be wonderful things. Whatever your desires, your intentions, your resolutions, or goals are in 2024, no one aspires to have the same stress levels, the same struggles, the same setbacks, or the same bad habits. And we're going to look at Ephesians 5 today in verses 15 through 17 and what scripture has to say about flipping the narrative of what does it mean to make the most of an opportunity. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for uh, LCC, thank you for uh, just the, the time of worship through music, the time of worship through communion, the time of worship of just being gathered together under your name. God, we pray that as we look at your scripture, Holy Spirit, that your word would speak to us, Lord, that you would convict us through your spirit, that we would see the goodness of Jesus, Lord, that you would... Uh, provide conviction where there needs to be conviction, reflection where there needs to be reflection, and action where there needs to be action. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. So this Ephesians five fifteen through 17 is going to be kind of home base for us today. This is going to kind of be the frame of, which, of Scripture that we look at uh, this morning. And it says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We're going to spend some time in this. We're going to break this down a bit. But this letter to the church at Ephesus is believed very strongly to be written by Paul. But it sounds very similar if you've, if you've read, ever read a proverb in the Bible. It sounds very similar to a proverb, like wisdom literature, right? Very practical, And we need to, as we move into a new year, discern the season that we are in or headed into. Whether you're a goal setter or not, we can heed these words to make the most of every opportunity. Psalms 90.12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Discerning the season, making the most of every opportunity. Man, I would... I've coached you know, high school soccer, I coach now my daughter's travel club team, which is very different than coaching 18-year-old boys, coaching seven-year-old girls, and I would much prefer coaching the seven-year-old girls over those 18-year-old boys any day, let me just tell you. But th- at any coaching level, you always hear things like, you know, take your chances, make the most of the opportunity, make the most of your playing time, right? Making the most of every opportunity. Und- and then this passage that says, understand what the Lord Wants you to do. And when we often think of making the most of an opportunity, we think of seize the moment, carpe diem, right? Seize the moment. But for some of us in discerning the season, it may mean you need to slow down. Some of you are going too quickly. Some of you need to enter into an extended season of rest. Some of you need to embrace the chaos that's around you right now. Some of you need to give away your presence. If you're anything like me, some of the things, I love to work. I love to work. But one of the things that the Lord's been teaching me is having this time off to not fight to get extra work things done, but to fight to spend more time with my family, to fight to spend more time with my kids, to fight to make that phone call that is with a relative I haven't spoken to in over a year for an hour. Some of us need to slow down. So you need to discern the season that we're going into. I know there can be a lot of excitement, new year, new goals. Let's go tackle it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Some of us, yes, you need to go. You need to go quickly. Others of us need to reflect and rest. I was never so reminded of this um, about two, two, three months ago. I'm not that old, but I'm old enough where these things, these stories start happening. I have two college roommates two of them, that both have stage four cancer. Uh, One has been battling since 2021, Uh, just finished like round 19 of chemo. Such an inspiring dude. Uh, Another who uh, was diagnosed this summer, was given 18 months to live, has three little girls. So I got to spend time with both of these guys. And uh, you you talk about that Psalms 90, teach us to number our days to give us a heart of wisdom. The perspective sitting at that table of two of my buddies who are both up against it, um, watching how they spend their time, where they invest their days, where they invest the minutes, and watching one of them who has been given basically a death sentence open up his Bible and just doling out encouragement to us, doling out the promises of God. Here is somebody who has perspective on life. Now, I don't think it's the perspective he would have signed up for or raised his hand for, but to see how they are spending their days, spending their time, stewarding their time, is amazing. And as we look at the book of Ephesians Uh, written by Paul, he encourages the church at Ephesus on how they ought to live as ones who follow Christ and how it ought to look different. When I sat with those two guys, it looked different than any conversation I've ever been part of in my life. Lots of wisdom, lots of perspective, lots of focusing on the most important things. Paul's letters have influenced the world. They have shaped civilization. They've composed about half of the new Testament books. And in the overview of Ephesus, just to kind of set the backdrop, what we see is this thread of God's ultimate purpose and plan to unify heaven and earth through the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, Christmas, right? This idea is kind of the framework that sets the trajectory for the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.1, Paul addresses his letter to the holy ones. This important term is usually translated as saints, written to Jewish and Gentile Christians alike. And Paul assigns the terminology of God's divine heavenly counsel to those who trust in Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, who has been exalted over all to rule heaven and earth, in Ephesians 1. And that same status has now been given to his followers in Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. And the last time I was here, we discussed Ephesians 4, that he entrusted the church to carry forward the mission. And so the center of Ephesians and its design and it's how it's written is about a new temple being made. In the Old Testament, they had to worship in the tabernacle, sacrifices in the tabernacle. Then a temple was established. That was, that's where you encountered God's presence. And now he is saying, because of Jesus, his, as we observed during communion, his sinless life, his death on the cross, and his victorious resurrection— now you get to have his spirit reside in you. We don't just have to, like he said, we don't just have to go, we don't have to go to church. Well, we don't have to go to a temple to experience his presence anymore. His presence goes with those that are in Christ. So Paul is reminding, this is now what this looks like. Paul draws attention to his own imprisonment because the lowest status is the higher, highest honor in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. And as we move into Ephesians 5, we start to see that there are two realities that we can live in that Paul highlights. There's light and dark, good and evil, but God's mercy allows us to enter into his way. So we're going to come back to this Ephesians 5 passage, this theme of old versus new, dark versus light. He says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Seems kind of very practical. <laughs> what do you mean here, Paul? Therefore, watch carefully how you all walk. Not as unwise, but we're gonna, we're gonna tie back into some of the, the Greek language and the Hebrew language here. Of every op, Making the most of every opportunity is a, a, a translated as redeeming the time. So we're not gonna be unwise, but wise means redeem the time. What he notes is wise behavior is redeeming each day, getting that perspective. Making the most goes back to the the Greek word for redemption. What's amazing here is the words that Paul is using, especially to the Jewish Christian audience here, would cause them to think about the Exodus you talk about traditions or heritage or genealogy, it would have them think back to the Exodus, the time where they were captured, enslaved in Egypt. And as you break it down, what Paul is actually starting to use here in this word that translates back into Hebrew is means to be bought or purchased, to buy back the time, to purchase it back this idea of liberating the time, this idea of redeeming the days. We all have time. We don't know how much time. I've been reminded of that way too much in this last year. We had a our daughter who was battling for her life this summer, two of my dearest friends, stage four cancer, right? And, and you hear those stories and you're like, that, that's never going to be my circle. Well, some of you already know that, you no, know, that is your circle. And that might Or that may even be your reality. This idea of time being precious and time we can't get back. This idea that, that time is always fleeting, it's moving so quickly. So what Paul is saying here is you've got some time. We don't know how much. And is your time in a state of freedom or is it a state of captivity? Now, as Christians, we have been liberated to be free and made new in Christ. And my question to myself and to us is, does it look different? Do our calendars fill up like everybody else in the world? What do they fill up with? What's the process What's the discernment that goes into what should this, our days look like? Because we can either choose to uh, liberate them from the captivity they're in and surrender to the lordship of Jesus, or we can go with the current cultural norms. And to be quite honest, I'm not just saying the, the cultural norms are like some uh, outrageous, sinful things. Sometimes they are. But sometimes, you know, People celebrate being busy, right? Oh, I'm just so busy. How you doing? Oh, I'm just busy. Oh, yeah, I know. Running kids here and there, ball games, this and that. Oh, yeah, we make it to church. That's great. All these other things we fill in. How is that any different than the world, really? Besides maybe checking a box and coming to church. Our time will either be captivated by another value set, or we submit it to the lordship of Jesus. There's no in between. So what's the filter for what makes it to your calendar? You pray about the vacations you're gonna go on? Do you pray about when you're gonna rest? Do you build that into your calendar? Do you pray about seasons that might be a little busy at work and how that's gonna impact the rest of the family and hey, I've gotta do this, but let's plan this way and let's make sure we get some rest over here or when we're gonna see grandkids or when we're gonna travel or when we're gonna go down to Florida or whatever it might be. How do we rescue the time? How do we liberate the time? Paul says, don't be foolish when it comes to time. Be wise. Because we have a lot of capitals in our lives, and we're gonna talk about that, that we can steward financially, intellectually, relationally. But last I checked, time we don't get back. It doesn't reproduce back. So we have the opportunity to rescue the time. Don't be foolish, but discern what the Lord's will is. How are we gonna spend our time? How are we gonna steward our time? What's interesting is in Ephesians 5, verse 18, so immediately after it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So be controlled or be filled with the Spirit as you plan the year, as you discern the season, as you say yes to certain things. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you will know God's good and perfect will. His spirit is in you. Metaphorically, taking the snow globe, shaking it. The snow is flying around. There's a little snowman in the background. His spirit is in you. It resides in you. We don't have to go into a tent in a desert anymore. We don't have to go into a temple anymore to experience his goodness and his presence. He meets us at our kitchen tables. He meets us when we're filling out our calendar. He meets us at the work day. He meets us in the classroom. He's with us. Emmanuel, he's with us. His spirit is with us. And Paul is emphasizing You can discern how to make the most of the opportunity because you have a helper. You have God's spirit in you, those that are in Christ. So discern the season. The second is surrender the season. Surrender the time. Surrender the days. When we're in the spirit, we will make the most of every opportunity. So how do we surrender the times and the days before him? We don't have time to get into all this. I would encourage you to read these on your own. Luke 16, it tells the parable of the shrewd manager, which touches on these five capitals that I'm gonna share that we have to invest or steward. Everybody in this room. Matthew 25, Jesus highlights resources, preparedness, investment, inheritance. So what have these five capitals surrendered look like? How do we give these to him? How do we submit them to the lordship of Jesus. Because if you're anything like me, there are times in your life where you realize there might be a corner of your life or a section of your life that isn't fully surrendered to his lordship, things that you might be holding on to. And there's these five capitals I want to introduce to you. The first one is physical, physical. This is your time, energy. It's measured in hours, minutes, health. We talked about We don't get this back. We don't get this back. Capacity, we have to use time effectively. Health is important. Taking care of our bodies. Healthy rhythms of rest and of work. If we're physically sick or unwell, it's difficult to sometimes leverage other resources in our lives. We need to really focus and prioritize that. No amount of money or ideas can replace the value of being physically present. Giving time and attention to people and projects. The second one is financial. Money, it's measured in dollars and cents, or maybe the stock market. Financial capital in the way of the kingdom ranks lowest. Money in itself, not good or bad. There's nothing inherently wrong with having money or desiring to be in a better state financially. Jesus says that the love of money is the problem when it becomes an idol. When we overvalue money and take it from the bottom of these five capitals and put it as the most important over our physical health, relationships, spiritually. Studies show that uh, as soon as we have enough, getting more money doesn't satisfy like we think. However, when money is invested or given away, it does increase someone's happiness level, even for people who aren't believers. Interesting. Money is just a resource to invest into other capitals to get a different kind of return. And the reality is that God owns everything. It's all his. Like we said during Communion. He doesn't need your money. He's fine. The Lord's gonna be okay. But what is it in our posture of our worship and of our surrender? Then there's the next capital, intellectual. This is creativity, ideas, knowledge, innovation, insight, concepts, ideas. Our God is brilliant and he is creative. And he's entrusted us with those gifts as well. This capital is higher than financial because it comes from something deeper that money can't buy. We can't create ideas and be creative simply by spending a lot of money. We can throw all the money in the world at its problems, but until we have the right idea and the right relationships, there's probably not a workable solution. Then there's relational. The next capital is relational. Quality and depth of relationships we've built relational equity measured in family and friends. Just as the second commandment says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? He's the first love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's second in priority of the entire list because you can't do anything of value in life without meaningful relationships with others. And other capitals You know, your intellectual, financial, physical can't really grow without relationships of some kind with other people. Jesus invested a lot of time, a lot of physical capital into relationships. We see that as he walks with his disciples, right? We see that as he invites Peter, James, and John to a special kind of intimacy and friendship as well. And the last but not least is the spiritual capital, spiritual capital, Connection we have with God measured in wisdom and power. The first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love him, worship him. Relationship with our heavenly father, knowing and loving him more. Jesus was the wealthiest person on the planet, not because of his financial means, but because of the depth of the intimacy he had with his father. Jesus' entire ministry demonstrated that spiritual capital is most valuable of all and can change the world. Jesus urged his disciples to trade in all other capitals to make gains in spiritual capital. So when I list these, these terms, and you may like other terms for them, those are the things as people we have to steward that we're entrusted to whether you're seven, 17, or 70, these five things. Some of us might be very good at stewarding or releasing certain capitals, while some of the other categories we really, really struggle with. We really, really struggle to surrender that to Jesus. And laying down one of these categories at his feet, as we move into 2024, that idea seems very difficult. To trust him, like I trust him, and this is what we do as humans. I will trust you with my eternity, but man, I can't trust you with this money. (laughs) Or I can't trust you with my calendar. Or I can't trust you that you're gonna show up in this relationship. Isn't that silly? Oh, I'll trust you with, you know, I'm gonna be heaven bound because of Jesus, but this thing on Tuesday at noon, I can't give to you. We all do it. What does it mean for those things to be surrendered to his lordship. Um, I've shared about this a little bit before, but you know, this summer, we experienced this firsthand as a family. Uh, our, our oldest, Nora, she's seven years old, you know, playing in a soccer tournament, and a couple days later, she just collapses and ends up in the hospital. We have no idea what's going on. Uh, she's very sick, fighting for her life. We had plans for this summer I had plans for the summer, and they weren't bad plans. We were not going to go, you know, sinning and gamble our life away and all kinds of debauch. Like, that wasn't the plan. We had some good plans. We had some summer trips. We're going to see the grandparents. We're going to relax. We're going to go to the pool. We had new uh, ministry opportunities at our work at Wave, Like, all kinds of really good things, good plans. And then our daughter was sick and we're spending all of our days in a children's hospital. In the midst of that, um, a friend of ours said, hey, when we went through something similar with our child, we kept a shared note on our phone of all the little miracles and blessings that we saw in the midst of the big storm. And to be quite honest with you, I'm like, yeah, but your situation wasn't as bad as ours. Or, yeah, that sounds great, and that sounds very Christian to do, but I'm mad right now. We're tired. And my wife was like, I think my wife kind of started to list." I'm like, okay, yeah. And we started listing ways that we were seeing God show up. And even as we exercised this kind of gratitude, it still didn't make us feel all the way better. We were still in the midst of it but it was something to look back on. On the the nights in the hours that were brutal, to look back on God's faithfulness in recent days even. Surrendering the physical capital of our daughter's life was not something I wanted to sign up for. I did not have that as a goal on New Year's Day in 2023. Lord, I wanna trust you in ways I've never trusted you with my kids' lives. And what I found is that I wanted to control I wanted to be the one who had the say-so on that. I didn't want to have five or six weeks off of work and ministry things. I didn't want to watch my kid uh, struggle in the ways that she was struggling and watch our family go through what we went through. I'm happy to say she is thriving and doing very, very well, and God has worked a miracle in her life. But it is a reminder that in the high highs and the low lows, a posture of surrender is the one we're always invited to take. And as we empty our hands and surrender, these five capitals, physical, our time, our bodies, relational, spiritual, intellectual, financial, when we surrender these with empty hands and surrender, we aren't left empty-handed. God gives us his promises to hold on to so that we can seize his promises, so we can seize his promises, so that we can remember his past faithfulness and hold on to it, hold on to seeing the goodness of his, his character and of his plan for our lives. 1 Samuel seven twelve says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Samuel built and set up this memorial to remind the Israelites of God's faithfulness and how God had helped them in the past. So if ever the people were to harden their hearts or wander from God, they would not forget by looking at that stone of his faithfulness, of his provision. Ebenezer literally means a stone of help. God is our stone of help to hold on to. And as we head into 2024, I just wanna encourage you, maybe it's later today, maybe it's tomorrow morning, write out an Ebenezer story. (laughs) To look back on your life, even maybe from this past year, and see where God showed up. See where God was growing you. See where God was faithful. And I know that some of you, you're going through it a job change a health issue, a health concern, awaiting results, still grieving a loss of someone from maybe even a year ago. Some of you, you're just like, I'm in a funk and I don't know what's going on. Or I'm experiencing anxiety in my life that I've never experienced before. I want you to go back and look, even in the midst of the heartache, the pain, the struggle that might be present right now, And for those of you who are like, I'm on the mountaintop, life's never been better, go back, go back and reflect, go back and count those blessings, go back and see his hand of faithfulness. I want to encourage you, as we move into 2024, if you don't have your resolutions or goals or habits all buttoned up right now, relax, it's okay, you don't have to. But I want to encourage you, as Paul encourages us, to live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the opportunity, redeeming the time, redeeming the days, being that light that stands out because you are consistently different. You are consistently modeling a different way of life, you're consistently modeling the way of the kingdom. And that is part of your worship, is discerning the season, hearing God to make the most of the opportunity right in front of you now. Some of you need to rest, slow down, recalibrate, build relationships. Others of you, it's, time, it's go time. You've been sitting around, it's go time. Whether that's in your career, whether that's spiritually, whether that's sharing your, it's go time. Discern the season. Surrender the season. Liberate the time. Surrender each of those five capitals to the Lord. I guarantee you we all have at least one that we're holding on to a little bit, a little bit. And the third thing is seize his promises. Recall his faithfulness. Write out that Ebenezer story. Hold on to, to his promises and his faithfulness, the Lord as our stone of help, as we head into this year. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you are our stone of help that even when we are at our most broken and most vulnerable, that we know and can know that your presence is there, that you see us, that you're there with us, that you're for us. Lord, as we move into this year, for some of us it feels like it's moving too fast. Others of us, we feel like, man, we've been resting and relaxing and maybe even lazy. Lord, help us to discern the season in front of us. Help us to see what it's like um, to redeem the days, to invest the time wisely, to surrender those at your feet, those five capitals at your feet, and that we would seize your promises, we'd hold on to your faithfulness in the ups and downs of the year that's gonna come ahead. God, we love you. We thank you for the plan that you have for each and every one of us. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to be in right relationship with you through Jesus and his sinless life, his death on the cross and resurrection. That if we place our faith in you to receive the forgiveness of sins, to have new life. Lord, help us to appear as new creations this this year. Uh, To to be people of the kingdom. To be people who uh, are, are close with you and that people can sense and feel and know that. To give us the courage to speak when we need to speak of you. Lord, we love you. We commission and commit this year to you. In Jesus' name, amen.